You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast. From the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, the museum brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. Join us as we take a closer look at the secret world of intelligence. We'd like to thank our SpyCast family members, Blue Apron and ZipRecruiter, for continuing to make SpyCast possible. You'll be hearing more about these great companies later, but first, let's meet our guests. We're joined today by Warren Holston and Dave White. Warren Holston was a career technical operations officer and has worked throughout the intelligence community, Department of Defense, and defense industry for more than 30 years. He has served as a U.S. Navy explosive ordnance disposal diver, a collection officer and senior manager in the Central Intelligence Agency, and a subject matter expert for the Department of Defense U.S. Special Operations Command. Mr. Holston has managed and conducted counterterrorism, covert action, and technical collection operations worldwide, and is recognized as having contributed significantly to the national security of the United States of America. He was awarded the CIA's Intelligence Commendation Medal, and I wasn't going to read this, but it's so juicy I have to, for, quote, conceiving of and implementing a clandestine sensor operation against a highly high-priority denied area intelligence target. And he received the Distinguished Career Intelligence Medal for, quote, superior performance in the conduct of clandestine operations in the CIA. Dave White has worked for the U.S. government in a broad range of roles and missions within the intelligence and defense communities for almost 30 years. He has an extensive leadership, systems engineering, and intelligence analysis and operations experience. He served in the U.S. Air Force for 20 years. He started out as an enlisted man and rose to the rank of Lieutenant Colonel Select, and that ain't easy to do. He has directed and managed imagery and signals collection operations on sensitive U.S. government platforms and led a variety of intelligence analysis units focused on delivering national security products to operators and policymakers. Since his retirement for the Air Force, he has focused on identity intelligence, biometrics, behavioral analysis, and biographical data. He served as Deputy Senior Operations Officer and Identity Intelligence Analyst at the National Counterterrorism Center and as a biometrics technology consultant in the intelligence community. He supports activities in the DIA, NSA, NGA, ODNI, and Air Force Intelligence, and he's now the CEO of Spartan Security Consulting LLC, which specializes in identity intelligence management and services. They are here because Warren and Dave are the authors of the new book, Beware the Predator, The American's Guide to Personal Security. Welcome, guys. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us here at SpyCast. Thank you for Thanks. having us. So a lot of our listeners tend to be college students, grad students, people in the early parts of their careers or people in completely different careers who are thinking about at some point working their way into the intelligence community. So whenever I have former practitioners on, I like to ask the question, what led you to a career in intelligence? Like what, beyond the idea of I wanted to be a patriot, like what drew you to this career? Because most people are incredibly qualified. You could have done 50 other jobs, but you ended up working in intel. What brought you to that? So Warren, let's start with you. What brought you to a career in intelligence? So I spent six years in the U.S. Navy as a Navy uh, explosive ordnance disposal uh, operator. And there I was recruited from the CIA because of the particular skills that the, the Navy had taught me in EOD. So that's, that's basically how I came to be a part of the CIA. And from there, hired for particular skills, it gave me the opportunity to then explore other tradecraft and operations in human operations and technical operations and collections. And that's one of, the, one of the interesting things about CIA is that if you're there for 30 years, it's unlikely you're doing the same thing the entire time you're there. They're very good at 
kind of cross-purposing people and cross-training. Absolutely, and the the world changes from yeah. time to time. What what the agency and what the people are focused on changes, so people get repurposed, if you will, to address particular threats, uh, particular concerns in the world, and that that happens throughout the organization. And it's one of the few organizations where you can come in as a protective officer, um, protecting the compound and protecting the principles, and work your way up into senior executive positions in collection or human targeting. So, Dave, same question with you. What, what, you had a different path. You worked for Air Force Intelligence, but also with a lot of these three-letter word agencies. What, what brought you to the world of intel? Uh, I was a military brat. So I grew up in Europe uh, in the 60s and 70s. So, you know, it was kind of a dynamic place. So that was kind of maybe the first bit of it. But uh, when I enlisted in the Air Force, I had a chance to work for leadership and had an opportunity to put together the intel file in the morning. And I was sold right from that moment. Well, and that, I, I'm, you've already kind of given away your age a little bit. I try, you know, it's radio so we can say that you're, you're only 27. Um, <laughs> But, you know, but this is during a time of really the height of the Cold War where you're doing Air Force intelligence had to be incredibly interesting, especially some of these briefings that you were doing for, you said, some of the higher ups. You know, this was a time more than likely where uh, it was uncertain what the end of the Cold War was going to look like. So let, let, me, let me kick this question now to you, Warren. So you can chime in here also, Dave. There, there have been a lot of books recently in this genre. Uh, that have come out, and we've even had some of the authors here on SpyCast. Uh, but what makes you two uniquely qualified to write this book? Because I think, you know, as we'll talk about, there are real differences between this book and the others we talked about. And in my, in my opinion, there are real advantages to some of the things that you focus on. But what do you bring to the table to make this book uh, the success that it is? So as I was looking about writing a book, I, I went through exactly what you're talking about. So I look in the bookstores. Um, there's books written by former SEALs, there's books written by pretty much everyone, every senior executive that comes out of the agency. And what I didn't want to do was write a tell-all book or a I'm unhappy book. I wanted to write something that was useful, and since I now work largely in technology um, and software, um, I started looking at it from the perspective of what can I bring to people that they don't already have access to. And that's where we started, was how can we look at uh, our self-protection, protecting our families from a different perspective that you can't get just from a simple Google search. So, I mean, I, I love, we talk about former SEALs. I, there's, a, there's a great book out there that talks about like how to use phone books as bulletproof vests and things in these incredible, extraordinary circumstances. I love it. <clears throat> but in many respects, this is more, you're, you know, you're a single mom with young kids or you're a family out in Idaho. The, what are the day-to-day -day things that you can do to make sure that you're not victimized. And, and that, to me, uh, maybe it spoke in a different direction than some of these other things did. That was exactly the point. Um, there's, it was not written for the people like me or Dave. It was written for the people that don't normally think about this, but generally get exploited just by their mere existence in, in the world, by using their credit cards, taking the toll road to work, um, whatever you're doing online, purchasing from Amazon, the people that normally get exploited, what can you do to look at your life and maybe protect yourself a little bit uh, just from the bad people that are moving throughout life? And I think something really great that you start the book off, the first thing you see is the fact that you're really bringing some basic tradecraft to the public, things that you were trained in the agencies, the things that you, uh, you've learned that, again, may not be common knowledge for a lot of people. You know, you're bringing them and, and exposing them to the public. And one of the more interesting ones uh, was this idea of pattern of life. Because most of us don't think this way uh, unless we're, you know, our pattern gets thrown off, right? I mean, I'm somebody that travels a lot and I can feel it. When I've traveled a lot, like, man, I have no routine now. I need to kind of get back to my quote unquote routines. That's where we feel comfortable. Right. But in many ways, that's the problem, right? Where the routine is opening us up for, for being victimized. Right. So. The way I approach that is we all do have a pattern of life, like you say, so we need to understand it. Once you understand your pattern of life, you can maintain your pattern of life, do what you normally do, and then when you need to do something or protect a certain aspect of your life, you can then move out of that pattern of life. And it's much like a case officer or a spy that lives their everyday life in a city overseas. They travel, they do their, their grocery shopping, they use the phone, and then one day they have to meet their handler. 
and that's where you go out of your pattern of life but you can't just drop off the face of the earth because that is also a pattern that that someone can identify so you have to really look at two patterns of life the one that is your normal pattern that you live every day you go to work but your other pattern that when you need to do those things um, you know when you want to protect a certain aspect of your life maybe you're a, a senior executive and so you have a very public life well that's your pattern of life that everyone sees what you need to do then is come up with your alternate uh, or your out of pattern life where your family sits where you you protect your kids they're not uh, accessible through your public Facebook pages they're not accessible if your uh, work phone is compromised and they ha someone has all of your contacts so uh, you have to com uh, commit to a completely air-gapped life right you use that word which I thought was great because a lot of people know that from you know, the cyber world there's right. an air gap I mean I read this before I got to the air gap term I was thinking Chinese wall was the, you know, mm -hmm. the term we used to use is you know when I separate your business life or your your work life from your personal life and mainly it's because it's very easy for someone who wants to do something malicious to you to glean on to something like a Facebook page yep. or a public some kind of social media profile like a Twitter page and if everything's connected they get in one place they get in everything that's it that's exactly right so you basically want to fire firewall off diff different portions of your life and there are certain things just living and existing in the world you can't help. You're going to use the ATM machine. You're going to use the toll road. All of that data is available. And more and more, because of marketing, it is publicly accessible for anybody that's for, to anyone that's willing to pay for it. So you, you have to separate it. So the other important aspect of this is for the air gap system. You can never, you can never make a phone call to someone or send an email to someone on a phone and then ever expect it not to be exploited. So if you have, for example, if you have a work phone that you use for your business or your senior executive or a politician, and you also use that to access any of your personal accounts or your personal email accounts, then you have to automatically consider it compromised. Because if you're being targeted, anything that you've done with that phone is compromised. So as painful as it is, if you're in one of those positions, having two separate phones, that you never cross contacts is the only way to protect uh, protect yourself or your family. And you talk about this as a kind of a, a rings of defense, and I think for ex anyone ex-military, think of like a defense in depth, almost as that concept, yes. where you try to create uh, multiple difficulties mm -hmm. for anyone who is trying to get to you. And in some respects, the outer rings are uh, you know trying to prevent things from happening, but as you get deeper and deeper, you've got to move into that area and I think one of the interesting things uh, that may be uh, there may be people out there thinking look I'm you know I'm a 35 year old single mom I don't necessarily have the ability to have 27 different phones I certainly don't have the ability to have you know weapons around the house or how do I keep predators away and a lot of times it's coming across as a hard target even if you're not mm -hmm. a hard target Can you talk a little bit about this idea of I love this analogy of be the porcupine <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I like the porcupine. The porcupine came, came about strictly by accident. But as we started to do the, the layers of defense, and the idea is, is uh, in the book we talk a little bit about, think of it in terms of a house. Um, and you look at the outside of the house, and the outside of the house has a pretty picket fence. And that's your layer of prevention. It's uh, things that you put up, whether it's perceived or real, that tell the adversary or tell someone walking down the street, okay, there is a picket fence up. I could walk over the fence or I could knock the fence down, but it is something that's separating me from the person. And then there's inside the fence, there's the dog that is snarling and growling, and that's your deterrent phase. So if the, if the predator gets inside the fence, the dog is there to deter, to, to deter the predator from getting into the house. So that would be your deterrence phase or your inside layer of the, of the fence. And then you get to inside of the house where once the predator is inside the house, you're now in a defensive posture where it's swift violent action to uh, protect yourself and protect your assets. And that, can, that analogy can be used whether you're talking a physical house, which we talk about in the book, or it, the same analogy can be used if you're talking in the cyber world. 
uh, you have to set up layers or fences around your life where you are given multiple opportunities to identify a threat before it becomes something that you have to defend against. And defense is often in terms of you can defend, but sometimes sometimes you have to curl up and just protect yourself. And, and defense can also be survival. Because if you're going up against, if a hard target is going after you, there really is nothing you can do to stop them. If you have attracted enough attention from a state sponsor or from uh, a hacker group that's intent on harming you, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do to prevent it. So you have to get in the defensive posture and protect what you have and reduce the damage. I love the idea of deception as defense also. One of the things that uh, I, I do have a, a new little puppy. Um, you know, it's not going to scare anybody. But the idea of putting out uh, like a big dog bone or some dog toys in your yard, even if you don't have a dog, just to me is not something I've thought of. I mean, that's just a great idea of, you know, if it's the whole idea of to be the porcupine, of looking like a hard target. Because if a bad guy is looking at the whole block, and he wants the easiest pickings and you have dog toys and a big bone in your front yard and somebody else doesn't i feel bad for my neighbor but they're probably going to choose the neighbor's house and that seems like again cyber is the same idea yep. you know where if you look like it's going to be difficult there's so many easy targets out there and that's you know the sad part is if you don't look like one they're going to go to the easy target no absolutely and that's the whole who's the whole concept behind uh, be the porcupine uh, if you go online and you Google uh, animals attacking porcupines, uh, there's, it's incredible. There's some incredible video of lions uh, trying to attack porcupines and what happens when, when, it's, when it's over. And it really comes down to exactly your point. It's simply presenting yourself as a hard target. Yeah, the lion might win, but it's going to be painful. Or you want to put into the predator's mind that this is going to be painful. I'll just go next door. It'll be easier. Yeah, there's a meerkat sitting next door. Yeah, You're going to go the after meerkat. the meerkat, right? Not the exactly. porcupine. And the, uh, and the deception piece is uh, interesting because this goes back to your um, single mom don't necessarily have the resources or the, uh, uh, the personal interest to employ a lot of the techniques in the book. You don't really have to. Um, and that's part of the point of looking at all of this from the standpoint of tradecraft and not keeping up with technology. Really, there's some simple things you can do in life just to present yourself as a hard target. Um, fireproof your documents that you want, your important documents that you need for the family. Smoke detectors in the house. Simple things that can help, uh, that don't really cost a lot of money and don't require you to um, be paranoid and plan for the next 25 years with food and water. Well, I mean, even something as simple as putting a house alarm sign, even if you don't have a house alarm. Absolutely. Putting a house alarm sign, or I'm not necessarily going to advocate this, but putting a, you know, proud member of the NRA sticker yeah, on exactly. your window, uh, it's unlikely that somebody who's a lazy crook is going to think, this is a good house for me to rob, just in case somebody, even if you don't like guns or don't have guns. It always puts a, just a shred of doubt yeah. in their mind. And that's, that's the first step in, in the part of prevention. You can put a shred of doubt in the predator's mind. So this is not most likely not the first time our listeners have heard of this, but we give away an extraordinary amount of our personal information without even thinking about it. Um, and it's not just about social media. You talk in the book about if you use the same credit card for everything, you're essentially giving away mm -hmm. the, whole, the whole farm. You're giving away all your information because if you have one possibly if you can trace that credit card history you basically know this person's entire life so you advocate not doing that uh, absolutely and it's it's getting more important actually because a lot of these companies it's all about marketing it's all about selling you things online so there's enormous uh, search engines enormous uh, big data uh, companies that are putting together collecting all of this information and then reselling it to to marketers it can be toll, toll road data, for example, because every time you go through the toll booth, it records, records you what time. It can be ATM transactions, gas transactions on your credit card. So what? it's not to become paranoid and have 10 different credit cards and, and that sort of thing, but it is to limit, again, we go back to limiting the damage when you get compromised, because if you actually live in the real world, you will be compromised. You will lose something. Someone will steal something from you. So it's how do you limit that damage? Having 
having a credit card for getting gas, having a credit card for groceries, and absolutely having, if nothing else, having a completely separate credit card for online purchases. Right, once you go online, you're, you're I mean, there are sites like Amazon that you think are secure, but every so often you hear about a major breach right. of like a target or somebody that, that happens online. And again, if you have one credit card, they track that, they have everything else in your life. They have everything else in your life. And also it becomes, it com becomes complex when you are compromised and you have to shut the credit card off. So now you may be without one, um, or it may take you some period of time to get one back. And it is difficult nowadays to operate without a debit or credit card. Well, and beyond just financial issues, if you're, if you have information about where people are spending money, you basically have intelligence about their lives, right? You Patterns know, life. you know where they are, you know when they are, you know, like, look, I, I can say I every Sunday nights when I do my grocery shopping, mm -hmm. right? And now, however many thousands of people know that, but. If you got my credit card, you would see, you know, there is a Safeway charge mm -hmm. on Sunday night every time. And same thing like where I go to, the, you know, the, the, the gas stations and when I'm out of town. I mean, that's mm -hmm. another thing that could be huge there also. This is not just can I steal out your ID or can I steal financial information. This can be real key information when it comes to intelligence gathering too. When you're away from home, yeah. when your home's a target, uh, especially if you're in high profile positions. Uh, when can I target your family? How can I target your family? Uh, interestingly, now, if you look at your uh, ATM statements, within minutes of actually conducting a transaction, whether it's ATM, credit cards, it shows up on your statement. All of this data is in the cloud, out there in the world, and subject to breach. So that's, this is another premise of the book, that you can't defeat the technology. So. You can't prevent being compromised. You will be compromised and you will lose your data, you will lose things. So the idea is to put yourself in a position where you know you're compromised from the beginning. The first time you walk out of your house, the first time you swipe your credit card, it's compromised. So now how do you plan for that? So if you go out believing that you're never going to be compromised, you are a much greater target. Right. So once you walk out of your house, once you make a phone call, once you connect to your email, whatever the case may be, you are compromised. And now how do we defend if we if, if somebody comes and moves against us? It's about mitigating the damage right. of the compromise, about making sure it doesn't spread to every aspect of our lives. Exactly, and that goes back to having separate credit cards. Yeah. It goes back to potentially having separate phones. Maybe you don't need separate phones depending on your position in life. And that's another point of the book. It's not to say it has to be this way. We have a variety of checklists in the book to help you get started. So the idea is we give you a place to look, okay, and prevention on the home. Here are the things that we should start with, but you can add or subtract to the checklist based on your personal circumstances. Uh, you may not need to worry about 50% of what's in there. And you may only need to worry about some of it today, but as you grow in life, you have a family, you have children, now you have to start taking a broader look at uh, your life and how to protect it. There'll be more with Warren and Dave in just a second, but now I wanna tell you about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is a company that was founded by a group of guys who worked in the tech industry and with startups and realized that the absolute worst thing about running an organization was the process of hiring people. We open the new Spy Museum next year. It's amazing that we're this close, but we're getting there. And so we're hiring new people to work on things like exhibit development, research, and much other things. And we'll eventually need to hire a lot more people as we get closer to the opening. When we need to hire a new person, we want to get the very best people, and of course, who doesn't? But the process seems never-ending, and it can take a huge amount of time, time we don't have, as we try to run our current operation while planning the content for the new museum. The people at ZipRecruiter have the solution. So are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in just one place isn't enough to find these quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy to use interface. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. 
Right now, SpyCast listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. So one, one of the things that was most refreshing to me when I read this book, and, and, and to me, uh, this made it, is what made it stand out more than anything else, was more and more nowadays, people are saying, you know, technology is not only the problem, but technology is the solution, right? You have to keep up on the most current technologies, whether it's an antivirus software or on the most current ways of cyber. But you say that technology is not the answer in this case. You can never fully keep up with the changes in technology. It's behavioral rather than technical. Uh, absolutely. I actually live in this world. I've done technical collection for 25 years and I can't keep up with it. It's impossible for me to keep up with the, the latest hack that's going on or the latest uh, thing that's being released on the internet by Anonymous. It's, it's just impossible. So that, that is the whole basis of the book, that we, we view self-protection we self through tradecraft, our personal tradecraft. How do we conduct ourselves in life not chasing the technology? A good antivirus software will work. We can argue which one's best and whichever one, whichever store you go to and buy your computer, they're gonna have one that they prefer. The bottom line is they're all as good as they can be uh, using a US-based antivirus software. Don't use a foreign one, but um, they're, they're all okay. They're not great, they're all okay. So don't worry about which one you use, worry more about which link you clicked on in right. the email is that's where you're going to compromise yourself. You're not going to really compromise yourself through a, a, a program that you downloaded that it, di it, that it didn't catch. Yeah, no, I, I, those that listen to this uh, podcast may have heard the Dmitry Perovich uh, podcast we did a couple weeks ago, and he was the one that uh, helped his company CrowdStrike to uh, trace back the origins of the DNC hack back to the Russians. And right after we posted that podcast, I got a bunch of emails that somehow made it through my spam filter even though they were advertising for uh, blushing Russian brides and other things. And it turned out the malware was embedded in the unsubscribe button, which I thought was brilliant. I mean, I had to give them credit. I looked at it and I said, okay, I props to you. Because the first thing, if I wasn't somebody in the position that I am, I'd be like, I don't want to be subscribed to the blushing, you know, young Russian hotties website, unsubscribe, and that would have killed me. That exactly. would have been the end of everything. And, you know, as you talk about, there's no learning curve to this. It's if you fall for it, you're toast. And I, and I think that, you know, no matter what technology we depend on, it's never going to be enough because there's always somebody new trying to develop something that's going to beat whatever antivirus software is that we have. Oh, absolutely. You can you can only do so much. And and the thing is, you have to be diligent. And your link is is a good example. It only takes one slip. Um, click on one thing, one unsubscribe, and you've compromised your computer and all of your contacts and all of your email contacts in your computer. So it's really more personal, personal tradecraft, diligence to pay attention to what you're doing, especially online, because there's no recovery. Well, and I think that the, you know the kids nowadays. Now I can say that because I'm not one that mm -hmm. much anymore. But the kids now are probably listening to this, going, "Look, I got this. You know, I'm at the state of the art. I'm 100% ready to go." Trust me, boys and girls, one day you won't be. Uh, and I think learning some of this personal trade crap is going to prepare you later when there, the next kid comes along who's 10 years younger than you and knows this stuff. But I mean, the great, my father was a systems analyst going back to the early Cold War period. Not quite the early, early, but there's like 50s and 60s. And he programmed some of the most state-of-the-art computer systems that we uh, used all the way up until actually Y2K. Um, and near the end of his life, I was turning on computers for him and stuff it's because it just didn't advance so much and, and, and that's going to happen to all of us. Right. And we can never keep up with the technology, but if we teach ourselves like you're trying to do here, the behavioral side of things, then it doesn't matter how advanced technology is. There, there's some other uh, behavioral parts that we, we could probably talk about and it's the choices that we make and what we share. So if you've got an app and you're using it to navigate town and look for you know uh, traffic patterns and things, and your username is your real name, chances are that's maybe not a good choice. Right. Uh, because then it's gonna maybe link to your Facebook account or your Twitter handle. Um, 
And what you've done is you've linked all these accounts across different uh, apps, uh, and it makes it much easier to figure out, uh, you know, exactly who you are. Well, and there's a great quote in the book um, that I, I highlighted, and I usually don't read out quotes, but this to me really made uh, a, a lot of sense, and it's going to kind of stand out for a lot of people. It says, social media search can often provide more insight into a person's character, behaviors, and history than traditional background checks did in the past. I mean, that, that stands out more. I mean, the idea is, think about the FBI doing, I mean, I had a background check. I did an SF-86, mm -hmm. you know, which takes, you know, four days to fill out a humongous form, and now they've all been compromised by the Chinese. But, you know, it took a good year for me to get the clearance that I got back in the day. And you can imagine how extensively, and a lot of people out there know how extensively, the FBI talked to your neighbors and everybody else. And here you're saying just kind of some basic social media work can give you more information about your life than these extensive background checks. And it's, it's important to note, and I brought, brought this up a couple of times, our biggest danger right now is marketing. Is that's where all the data resides. The, the people that are driving the collection of this large amount of data and the aggregation of this data are the marketers. But there's no willingness to protect that data. In fact, it's sold and moved freely uh, back and forth. So once you start linking accounts, that's how the marketing works. It also is then compromised and sold in the deep and dark web uh, to the people that will then exploit your identity or maybe if you are in the government, target you for some activity by a foreign government. Does the world really need your birthday? Right. Those types of things. No, and I think that's the, uh, you know, I, I'm very purposeful. I, again, I travel a lot also, but I'm very purposeful of never posting pictures of where I am when I'm there. Right. right? That, to me, that's just basic, right? right? It's like, hey, look at me in Venice, and, you know, my house is wide open. Please mm -hmm. go ahead. And, I mean, those, those to me are basic things, but I, I, you can be amazed at people just don't even think in that level. Um, and there's a lot of oversharing going on. I'm somebody that's on Twitter nonstop. So that's where, that's my link to news stories sure. and to kind of following along with just so much out there. You know, but oversharing can be something that dooms anybody, uh, especially now that people are much more tech savvy than I am. So I'm getting older as well. Um, and I'm in a position where I'd rather people not know my social security number and where I am and when my birthday is and all these other things. So it's interesting you bring that up. Again, we do everything we can up front to protect that. Don't give out your social security number and your birth date at the same time, you know, on the same right. form, those sorts of things. Uh, and we address all of those in the book. But uh, equally important is going back to the concept that you do exist. You did fill out an SF-86. You do go to the doctor. You do have health insurance. So you are compromised. It's that simple. Right. Somebody, lots of, lots of people have your social security number. Lots of people have your birthday. So trying to keep them from being aggregated is important. And at the same time, looking at it from the personal behavioral side, what do I, what, how should I look at it? And how should I be thinking about the fact that, okay, I could very easily, with one hack of a major healthcare organization, be completely compromised. And then we talk about how then to put the gates in place to protect yourself and defend yourself. Yeah, and again, it's not about assuming that it's might happen one day. It's knowing that it's going to happen one day. That is probably the most important part yeah. right there. If you actually recognize and acknowledge the fact that it will happen, it will happen no matter how smart you are, what part of the government you came from, or what side of you know the fence you were on, it will eventually happen. So let's look at it from that perspective. We'll hear more of this conversation in a moment, but let me take a quick minute to tell you about Blue Apron. We all know at this point how bad a cook I am. I even now have SpyCast fans sending me Crunchberry funding and pity for my culinary uselessness. But I can still honestly say that Blue Apron helped to change this for the better. Now, I can't say that I'm a much better cook than I was, but Blue Apron makes things so easy, I can cook something that doesn't put me and my family in the emergency room. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Yeah, everyone, even me. And they're the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. To give you an idea, Blue Apron's established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. They can be delivered to 99% of the continent of the United States and 99.5% of food deserts. 
And because Blue Apron ships the exact amount each ingredient required for a recipe, they're reducing food waste. So take a chance and check out their featured upcoming meals. Things like salmon piccata with orzo and broccoli, pork chops and miso butter with bok choy and marinated apple, vegetable chili and baked sweet potatoes with crispy tortilla strips, and spicy shrimp coconut curry with cabbage and rice. Look, six months ago, I wouldn't have known what half this stuff was. With Blue Apron, I can actually identify some of this. I even know what some of it even looks like. This is about Blue Apron and variety. You can choose from a variety of new SBs every single week, or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. Recipes are not repeated within a year, so you'll never get bored. It's also flexible. For someone like me who travels all the time, this is key. You can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. Blue Apron has several delivery options, so you can choose what fits your needs. And there's no weekly commitment, so you get deliveries only when you want them. And did I mention Blue Apron is easy? Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less, even by me. And Blue Apron has a freshness guarantee that promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com spycast. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com spycast. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. One thing I also found refreshing about this is that you're not telling anybody to go become a ninja. Uh, the, the kind of the self-defense idea here, uh, for most people, um, as you say very explicitly, the goal is never to stand and fight. I mean, fist fights are Hollywood, right? The idea is to inflict maximum pain and then get the hell out of Dodge exactly. as fast as you possibly can. Exactly, yeah, never stand and fight. Get off the X as it's generally referred to in the military or the agency. But if you're on a, on a target or you're on a, a meeting or an operation, and something bad happens, it is always the objective to safely get out. And occasionally, you may have to fight, and it's swift, violent action only to inflict pain and move on. If you stand and fight, you will almost always lose, because none of us are professionals. As you say, you know, the Hollywood uh, fist fight and knock, knock them down with one punch. It doesn't happen, and it generally ends up bloody and in a bad place. Well, I think the two having the two of you here is great as, as two former practitioners. The idea of the Hollywood version of espionage and spying is all these car chases and shootouts right. and fistfights. If you find yourself in that situation, you've done something really, really wrong, or things have gone really badly. The last thing in the world any intelligence professional ever wants to find themselves doing is to get in a street brawl with some Russian bad guy. Yes, you've got other problems <laughs> yeah. when you got to that point. You have significant problems. And we also, so that's a very good point. We approach the self-defense piece as a, the last resort. It may happen. You may find yourself being carjacked in the mall parking lot. Um, it does happen. But really, the focus of the whole book is to keep yourself from being put in that position in the first place. Making smart personal choices. I'll use the mall as an example. Making smart personal choices where you park what time of the day or night you go there, um, who you go with, uh, when you unlock your doors, when you lock your doors, when you get in the car. All of those things are good personal choices that will help you reduce the need to ever have to fight. And a lot of it's also about situational awareness, where you talk in the book about things like noticing anomalies, noticing things that are out of place. It it goes back to this whole idea of humans have patterns, Mm -hmm. right? You walk around day to day, maybe we're not paying a lot of attention because we're on our phone or other things. But in most cases, Things stand out if you're paying attention. Things that aren't supposed to be there. Things that look a little shady, whether it's a little hair sticking up on the back of our neck or noticing something that's out of place. And, I, you know, I love Casino Royale as a movie, the, the Daniel Craig version. It's one of my favorite Bond movies, arguably one of my favorite movies of all time. But the, the one of the early scenes in the movie is Daniel Craig and the other British secret agent standing, watching the street brawl, the the, the you know, the unsanctioned boxing match, surrounded by, they're the only two Caucasians in the entire universe. They're wearing very, with a little bulge on their side of their, their arm. They're talking to themselves. The other guys had his hand up. They don't look like they belong. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of times where, in situations like at the mall, right, if someone's just kind of hanging around or if someone's been following you around, there are ways that you can kind of be aware of your environment that can help you do that also. Yes, so you hit on a couple of things. One is we talk in the book about 
what we're really talking about is surveillance detection. In the book, it's being aware of uh, if anyone is following you, targeting you, and we talk about ways to be able to identify them by drawing them out, going down certain roads or turning into certain stores or sections in, in the mall where you can start to see people that might be following you or are having some anomalous behavior. But that's really based on uh, old school surveillance detection practices uh, that have been used in the spy world for decades. And it works in, in your personal life as well. It's just the concept of putting people in an uncomfortable position and forcing them to do something that stands out. And that, that fundamentally is what it comes down to. You bring someone into a position where they're forced to show their hand. In the military, we talk about taking the initiative in that case. You know, you basically, if you're being followed around by some goon in the mall, they are, they are holding the initiative because they're making the decisions on how to follow you. But the minute you start doing your own anomalous behavior, you kind of tip, you force them to tip their hand if they're actually doing something they shouldn't be doing. Absolutely, absolutely. And in another interesting thing for the listeners here is in a lot of the training courses that you get throughout the military and tradecraft kinds of training courses over the last many decades, um, you'll be put into positions where you will just sit and watch people. And I encourage people to, to go to the mall and just sit for a half an hour, watch people, or go into a city and just walk around at different times of the day or night and just watch what people do. People do some weird things. And it's not nefarious at all. They just do some weird things. And we all do. And uh, get comfortable with seeing the world or seeing the matrix around you. Because a lot of us move through life and we don't even notice the crazy that goes on on yeah. a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> which is not nefarious at all. It's just crazy. It makes life more entertaining by it seeing make, all the crazy yeah, around us. Yeah, exactly. But you, you have to be able to see what life really looks like in order to determine uh, what's not right, right in life. So pet peeve is you know, folks walking around looking at their phones. Uh, you know, you run into that all the time. And people, you, you've seen videos maybe on YouTube, people walking off into fountains or walking right. into poles. It's a little hard to know what's going on around you if you're consumed by something else. I mean, there's no question if I was trying to follow somebody, if they were on their phone, it makes life so easy right. for you because they, they have no situational awareness whatsoever mm -hmm. of what's going on around them. Um, you know, and, and, and Washington, D.C. is a great example. You can just look out on the street and every other person's on it. I'm, I'm guilty of it all. You know, if I'm getting emails, I'm walking around, too. Um, and it's near impossible at that point to notice things outside of the ordinary. You're just not paying enough attention. Your attention's consumed in other yeah. ways. Let me expand this to over abroad because you do have some really good advice about traveling abroad. And one of them, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, you talk about the James Bond syndrome. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that, that, that becomes more and more important as we see potential high-level, let's not use any names, officials who have been honey-trapped overseas, whether they're um, used to be presidential candidates, now presidents, <laughs> or you know North Korean stepbrothers or half-brothers that seem to find their way into bad situations overseas. Uh, your, your, your advice for the listener is? So I, I love the, the James Bond theory here. I saw this over the years and in my time with the agency, and we all fall prey to it. You get overseas, you're doing cool and interesting things, you're in the bar, and uh, a beautiful blonde hits on you. you know, if this doesn't happen to you every day when you're at home, you're the target. Yeah. If you're looking around going, huh, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder who the target is. You are. So, and it, it doesn't matter really uh, your gender. Uh, it, it works the same the other way. If uh, the guy with the $300,000 Ferrari wants to take you on a date, uh, you might want, to, might want to look around and wonder who's the target. And it's really the point of the whole thing is the fact that just because you are out of wherever you happen to live in the United States does not instantly make you James Bond or that attractive. Yeah, Americans aren't that exotic. No, we're not that so exotic. <laughs> unless you have people hanging all over you at the local bar. Right. Yeah, likelihood that when you go to Brussels or somewhere else, it's it's not uh, not kosher. Exactly. Well, let me ask you about this idea of creating, even if you're a civilian and non-agency, a, a cover identity is kind of how you straight it, you lay it out in the book. When you go overseas, essentially uh, a, a fake enough 
name that it conceals important information about who you are when you're meeting strangers overseas, but again, real enough to remember, right? Uh, so that you don't get crossed up. Uh, how important is that? I mean, that sounds very kind of paranoid, spy. But what what can it do to protect you overseas? So, kind of the focus of this is when you get overseas and you meet somebody in a restaurant or a bar or on a tour bus. Um, again, it goes back kind of to the James Bond syndrome. Just if someone's paying a lot of attention to you, well, maybe you're really interesting. I'm not. But if they're paying a lot of attention to you, there may be a reason. So you should look at it from the perspective of, do you really need to tell this person your birthday, everything about you right then? So have you don't need to tell them necessarily your name either. Because if they know your name and your hotel, then they can put, go to your room. Um, it's easy enough to get in, your, in the hotel rooms. So what I encourage people to do is uh, come up with, you know, use your first name and a separate last name, something that you can remember. Um, you don't need a huge cover, huge backstory. You're not a spy. You, all you're trying to do is make sure that you're not becoming an easy target while you're conversing with the person and determining if they're a threat or not. So if you're a lawyer and you're overseas, um, you don't necessarily have to tell the truth about, oh, I'm in town, I'm on this big uh, merger and acquisition, you know, I'm the head lawyer, so-and-so, and, you know, I'm out of New York and I make half a million dollars right. a year. You can skip all that. How about I'm a pro, bo pro, pro bono lawyer and I'm at a homeless, uh, right. I'm at a conference on, you know, how to help the homeless. And start with that and let's see if you're still as interesting to that person uh, as you were before. And don't use your mother's maiden name. That's and don't, your, yeah, don't, last yeah, name. And don't That's use probably your not a good idea. I, one thing you see in a lot of the spy movies, and you see this, I think, in Dr. No, like the first Bond movie, is something known as a telltale, where he picks a little hair out of his head and puts it on his, his hotel door right. to make sure people haven't gotten in. And, you know, this is something that's done in the world of tradecraft. But it's really a thousand times easier now with smartphones. It is. And it's even now common sense when you get into a hotel room, even not overseas, like say you go to Albuquerque to get a hotel room and just take a couple quick pictures of your hotel room. Because, and both of you know as former intelligence officers, maybe you've gone through a room or two in your careers, how next to impossible it is to get it exactly right Absolutely. when you search your room. It's in the tradecraft that you talk about, putting the telltales or the little piece of tape in the door jam, those all worked, but again, they were before smartphones. Mm -hmm. um, and they were equally as hard to set as they were to defeat. Because um, invariably, I've done this before, you stick a piece of paper in the door jam, you come home late at night, open the door jam to open the door to the hotel room, and you forget where the paper was. <laughs> so it's not useful. <laughs> so um, with smartphones, it's just like when you park at the airport. You take a picture of the, the, the post that tells you what parking level you are on so you don't lose your car. Um, it's the same thing. Get in the hotel room, and before you leave, not necessarily when you get there, but before you go out every time, take a couple of pictures of where your bags are, uh, how the zippers are. It doesn't have to be complex, four or five pictures um, of those things that you know someone would go through, whether it's your briefcase or your bag, and then check it when you get back. Let me round this up by asking about garbage, something we don't think about very often. Uh, I mean, I know in DC our garbage goes out on the curb and we don't even think about it again. But when I, you know, I, I'm, very paranoid is the job I have. I shred a lot of stuff, but you could just walk around and learn everything in the world you want to know about many people by looking at garbage. Is garbage a major vulnerability that we're not paying enough attention to? Absolutely, and it's it's a huge issue from a privacy perspective, whether it's law enforcement, uh, whether it's, because once you put it out on the street, it is, it's public. It's kind of like putting stuff up on Facebook. Once you put it out in the, in the cyber world, it's public and people, People don't need anything to go retrieve it. Same thing with garbage. So once you put it out on the street. So generally, if you can tolerate it, if your lifestyle can tolerate it, shred everything that's not household garbage, milk cartons, you know, Coke bottles, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, but if, you, if your lifestyle just simply won't tolerate that or you don't have the patience for that, then you certainly need to shred everything with any personal identifiable information on it. Um, that would be any, any kind of medical bills, um, tax, information, anything that has your birth date, that sort of thing on it. And let me, let me ask you to put this in perspective. Intelligence agencies use garbage a lot 
Absolutely. To guy, so so the people out there don't think that you know being paranoid or that this is kind of, you know, something that you only see in the movies. Intelligence agencies go through. I mean, that's the worst job in the world. You know, the brand new guy at CIA on a mission. You're on garbage duty, kid. <laughs> right. uh, but you can get tons of information from that. So and think about it overseas. This is a, a major issue for all embassies. Is what what goes out in the garbage. Because uh, a lot of a lot of countries, they can put more people than they can on technology on a given problem. So you can have a a number of people collecting the garbage from an embassy and going through that garbage and get a tremendous amount of information on uh, diplomacy, uh, positions of policy, and uh, certainly intelligence if if it were put in the trash. We'd like to thank Blue Apron and ZipRecruiter for their continued support of SpyCast. Remember, you can check out this week's Blue Apron menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash spycast. And you can post your jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ziprecruiter.com slash first. Well, Warren and Dave are the authors of Beware the Predator, the American's Guide to Personal Security. I uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, again, I, I endorse this book. I think it, for everyone from... Uh, people that understand this world because they've been former practitioners to, you know, people that have no attachment whatsoever and just kind of want to know a little bit more about ways to keep themselves safe. I think this is a great, a super easy and fast read, um, uh, worth taking the time. So Warren, Dave, thank you for talking to us today at SpyCast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us on SpyCast. Every Tuesday, we'll give you the most interesting conversations with some of the most intriguing people in the world of intelligence. If you'd like to send us a comment or suggestion, you can email us at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Or tweet us at intlspycast. That's I-N-T-L-S-P-Y-C-A-S-T. The International Spy Museum is a full 501c3 nonprofit institution. To help support future educational programming, please visit spymuseum.org and click on our Donate Now link at the top of the page. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. Thank you.